Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow edition as the Bengals look for a road win against the dreaded, hated, but always respected black and yellow wearing Pittsburgh Steelers. Coming up, I'll talk to the senior NFL reporter for Sports Illustrated's MMQB website, Albert Breer. In May, he wrote a great behind-the-scenes story about Joe Burrow's comeback, and we'll get his thoughts on the Bengals' QB after the first two games of the season, and much more. My one-on-one player conversation this week is actually one-on-two, as I talk to former NC State roommates Jermaine Pratt and B.J. Hill about being reunited in Cincinnati. Dave Lapham joins me to discuss the latest Bengals news and share some keys to beating Pittsburgh. And finally, it's our Know the Foe segment as we discuss the Steelers with a guy who has covered the team for more than three decades, Ed Bouchette. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since the Bengals fans who regularly turn out for our radio shows. Dave Lapham and I host the Bengals Game Plan Show at a different Cincinnati area sports bar every Wednesday night from 6 to 8, and there are quite a few loyal fans who never miss a show. Of course, it helps that we're usually joined by former Bengals standouts and have giveaways during the commercial breaks, But regardless of the location or the weather or how the team played the previous week, we know that our loyal crew will be there. Having said that, the more the merrier. We'll be at the Holy Grail across from Great American Ballpark next Wednesday night and expect to be joined by Kenny Anderson one night before he enters the Bengals' Ring of Honor. Now, let's get to my guests, beginning with Albert Breer from Sports Illustrated and its MMQB website. Albert, you have written a lot about Joe Burrow in the last couple of years, including a great behind-the-scenes look at his comeback from knee surgery. As you talked to Joe and his parents and Bengals coaches for that story, what stood out the most to you? I, I think it was sort of how he attacked the rehab and um, you know how aggressive he was um, about it. And you know that first offseason for a lot of um, guys coming into the NFL – is sort of one where you decompress, you know, and, and, and you think about the way guys come into the league and, and you go from your final college season, then usually to a college all-star game, then usually to the combine, then you have your visits, you have your, um, you know, your interviews, you have all of that different stuff leading into the draft Then you get drafted, then you go to OTAs, then you go to mini camp, then you have a little bit of a break there. Um, then you come back for training camp and it's on to the season. And really what it winds up adding up to is 18 months, you know, where, you're just sort of in this meat grinder. And, you know, I think the fact that Joe was so aggressive in attacking this, being on the back end of that period um, as a player, I think sort of shows how motivated he was to get back. The fact that he stayed in Cincinnati and worked with his trainer there um, exclusively, didn't take vacations really. I mean, he went to Florida with his parents for a little while, I think, um, for a week or so or whatever it was. But, you know, even that, like he was taking his work with him. And so I I think, you know, as much as anything else, Dan, it was – the sort of, I, I think, constant focus on I need to get myself back. And I even think that that played into some of the struggles early in camp because I know, you know, just having talked to him, he wanted to go through the whole process of feeling comfortable with people around his legs um, before he saw it in game action. And I think that was sort of why things were interpreted as, oh, you know, he hit a real roadblock like here in the first or second week of camp. Um, whereas he was like really trying to just, ch- just generate and fast track, generate situations and fast track uh, his recovery. So, you know, I've just sort of been impressed with the, the intention, attention to detail and also like how he's really stayed on it as much as anything else. Um, you know, at a period of time when most guys that age coming into the NFL are pretty worn out and need a break. So Joe was tremendous in week one against the Vikings, had a tougher time, obviously, last week against the Bears. How do you think he looks through two games? Great in week one, (laughs) not as good in week two. And I think that's part of it, too. You know, um, there's going to be the the, the back and forth, I think, a little bit. Um, I mean, look, they need to play better in front of and up front, too. Um, Yeah, I think with the defense looking a little better through two weeks, that's really going to be the story of the season is what the offensive line looks like. Not that I need to tell you that, because I know you guys have been talking about that for over a year now. 
Um, so, you know, I, I think the things around him were better in week one than they were in week two. And that played into it, you know, but I, I did like the way that, you know, he kind of kept swinging at the end and, and the Bengals had a chance there. Um, now, obviously the bears close him out in the end, but they're able to take advantage of the turnover and you know, he throws a touchdown pass so quickly to T I think a couple plays after that, um, you know, I like the resiliency in week two and then the overall game operation in week one. Um, and you know, what he was able to do down the stretch in that game and, you know, changing the play in overtime and getting the ball to CJ and, um, you know, sort of his command over all of the offense, I think it's really impressive for a guy in his second year. And again, there are going to be some ups and downs still because he's only in his second year. Um, you know, but I think right now he's got the Bengals in a chance in, in a position to be competitive every week. And I think he even saw it last week in a game where, you know, quite honestly, like most quarterbacks play like that, you're out of the game. And they're able to put him in a position to, to, to kind of compete in the end. And so it was encouraging to me the way he kept swinging in that game. And I think you see, too, some of the belief that the, the other players in the team have in him that, and that they were in that situation at the end of the game, even though it was as sloppy as it had been for three hours out there. Our guest is Albert Breer. You can follow him on Twitter at Albert Breer. You made a trip to Cincinnati for training camp in early August. Aside from watching Joe Burrow, what were some of the things that caught your eye? I think one of the things that sort of come up big um, for the Bengals early in the season, this is something that actually Joe pointed out to me, um, you know, last week was just the, and, and this is something the coaches talked about back in the summer too, when I was there um, is sort of how the secondary is having an effect on the entire team and, and how they focus in the off season on bringing in the guys from winning programs. And so, you know, you got a, a Chidobe Awuzie who's coming over from Dallas. You have a Mike Hilton who's coming over from Pittsburgh. You know, you have a Von Bell who played in New Orleans. Trey Hendrickson, of course, he's not in the secondary, but he played in New Orleans as well. And so you've got all of these guys now on the roster who've been in winning programs, who've been in playoff games. And, you know, I think the way the secondary is sort of coming together now and the way you're seeing the experience that they've injected in the secondary, you know, through being aggressive in free agency – um, the way that that's sort of paying dividends, that's one of the things that's really stuck out to me. And I think when you look at some of the things that the, the coaches or the staff are talking about over the summer, and then through two weeks, you see those things sort of coming to life. It's an encouraging sign, at least the vision that they have for the team is working, you know? And so I think, you know, having guys like, you know, again, like Cheeto, um, like Mike Hilton in the building, you know, like uh, Avon Bell in the building. And I know he was acquired a couple of years ago, not this off season. Um, you know, I think you're actually seeing some of the, the belief that they're able to inject into the program. And, you know, I, I think the communication on defense has been better on a micro level. The communication on defense has been better um, just as a result of having those veteran players in the equation. But I think overall, just as far as, you know, trying to, you know, make the team believe that, that, that they've got a chance in every game and that they can be a playoff contender. I think bringing in all these guys from winning programs has really helped for a team that hasn't been in the playoffs the last five years. Albert Breer from Sports Illustrated is our guest. What does success look like for the Bengals this year, in your opinion? Being in the, the, the running until the end, you know, and, and, and in December having a chance, um, entering that month with, you know, an opportunity to compete for a playoff spot. And then I think player development is the other big part of it, you know, so do these players look like they're ascending at the end of the year? Does Joe Burrow look like he's ascending at the end of the year? Do Jamar Chase and T Higgins look like they're ascending at the end of the year? How is Jonah Williams holding up at left tackle? Um, you know, on the defensive side, you know, how have the veteran players come together and maybe elevated some of the young guys they have on the roster there? Um, I, I think this year in a lot of different ways is going to be about, you know, taking another step in Zach Taylor's third year and competing for a playoff spot. But I also look at like the players they've invested in and young players they've invested in, in the draft. And I think so much of it's going to kind of come down to what this looks like when we get to the end of the year and whether or not, you know, you're in December and you're saying, God, these guys like this, Jonah Williams, this Jamar Chase, this T Higgins, this Joe Burrow, like these guys look really good now, but man, what are they going to be in 2022? Like that to me would, is going to have to be a big part of the success of this season is that from, you know, a player development standpoint, they're getting back to where they were in like 2011 and 2012, when you started to see some, some young players in the, who had been in the pipeline for a while, starting to turn corners. 
The Bengals and Steelers renew their rivalry this weekend. Pittsburgh got off to a great start with a win at Buffalo in week one, then lost at home to the Raiders last week. What's your take on Pittsburgh this year? It's like a lot of teams, you know, you, you read a lot into week one and then you find out maybe week one didn't mean as much as, as you thought it did. Um, it feels like half. So I mean, I mean, it feels like, I, like, I, I don't know what the count is, but it feels like there are a lot of one-on-one teams right now. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think, you know, my, my overall feeling on the Steelers is actually sort of mirrors what we've just been talking about with the Bengals, which is that the offensive line is going to dictate a lot as far as how far the team can go. Um, defensively, I think they're gonna be really good. Now that's pending TJ Watts injury and, um, you know, how quickly they can get him back and all of that. But, um, defensively, I think against Buffalo, you saw what they're capable of. And I, I think they're, they, they, they have a, a front that's capable of being the best in football. And if you start there and you're better in the secondary, and I think they believe they're better in their second than the secondary than they have been. Like now, all of a sudden, you know, I think you're talking about a defense that maybe can get back to the level. Um, that they were at, you know, 10, 15 years ago with the Troy Palomalos and the James Farriers and the James Harrisons and the Lamar Woodleys. Um, so, like, I think the defense is capable of being at that level of TJ's, you know, if, if he's healthy and right. Um, and I think for a little while, at least, that defense is going to have to carry the offense um, because they are going to be figuring out some things. Now, Najee Harris looks like he's a real player, um, and they've got a couple of rookies starting on their offensive line. And so I think, you know, their ability to kind of develop an identity offensively over the next, I'd say, two months is, I think, going to dictate how far they can go. And so much of that is going to ride on how an offensive line plays and a group that lost all at once now, Alejandro Villanueva, David DeCastro, and Marquise Pouncey, who have been foundation pieces for them for quite some time. So um, I tell you right now, Dan, you know, I think a team is capable as long as TJ Watt is healthy of being elite on defense, um, a team that's got good skill um, and a team ultimately that's going to, you know, a lot is going to ride on their ability to develop that offensive line and bring that offensive line along. Well, as for TJ Watt, I think he needs to think big picture and take a week off. That's just me, but I think that that would be good for his long-term prognosis. Final question for Sports Illustrated's Albert Breer. Am I correct in thinking that you are a big fan of the Bengals' new uniforms? I love them. Yeah. I mean, I thought the last, I thought the last set like had a little too much going on, you know? And I mean, I don't know, I'm old school. So I guess you call me minimalist, right? Like where I think less is more. And uh, yeah. So I think like the fact that they're just, and I don't know, I'm like, I, I mean, like, look at how I'm dressed right now. I don't know if, if I, if anybody should be taking fashion advice from me, but um, I, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I like the fact they look cleaner to me. And I like the fact that they're a little simpler. And I actually like made this comment a couple of years ago. Like I thought their color rush uniforms were awesome. And these feel like kind of like a, I would say, uh, um, like kind of like a continuation of those. Now, I, the one thing I would have done differently, I would have gone with the, I'm, I'm a big fan of the block letters. I think block letters, like those are the block numbers, like the block numbers, I think look great on football uniforms. Um, but other than that, I think they did a, they, they did a really nice job. It's a, a much, much cleaner look. And uh, that's, I think, about as much fashion a, a, uh, analysis as anybody wants from me. By the way, Albert is a proud Ohio State grad. And if you see him on TV or YouTube while he's being interviewed from home, you'll notice an Ohio State helmet over his shoulder. It's game used and belonged to current Bengal Eli Apple when he was a Buckeye. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. When the Bengals traded Billy Price for B.J. Hill just before the start of the season, they not only acquired a solid defensive tackle, they added one of Jermaine Pratt's closest friends. I sat down with the two of them this week. They have been reunited in Cincinnati four years after they were roommates at NC State, linebacker Jermaine Pratt and defensive lineman B.J. Hill. Jermaine, how did you two guys wind up rooming together in college? They actually picked their roommates. Like We was early in roadies, so I guess they put us together. You know, I don't know. I don't know why. I really don't. <laughs> B.J., did you two hit it off right off the bat? Yeah, he was kind of to himself at first, being a little, a little awkward. But then we all, you know, got close. So you two guys are too young to remember the TV show The Odd Couple. 
But when I was a kid, there was a show about these two roommates. Oscar was a total slob. Felix was a neat freak. Jermaine, does that describe you two guys living together in college? Uh, pretty much. I'm the neat freak. <laughs> he the total slob, <laughs> I would say. But, nah, I think for the most part, the house is clean until, like, we had, like, game. The season started getting headed. You know, it started being, like, a lot of dishes and stuff. But it was coming from my other roommate. He was just terrible. It's terrible with the dishes and stuff. <laughs> he always tried to blame it on us. But it was my other roommate. So, BJ, I've been out of college for more than 30 years now, but I still talk to my roommate every few days or text him every few days. Have you guys stayed in regular contact while you were playing for the Giants and he was playing for the Bengals? Oh, yeah. We talk probably every other day, every day. Um, we always shoot each other text message, FaceTime, or some on uh, Instagram. So we always talking and we also live near each other um during the off season so yeah he can't get away from me <laughs> <laughs> both north carolina guys were talking to jermaine pratt and bj hill so this year just before the start of the regular season the bengals pull off a trade they send billy price to the giants for bj hill and now you guys are reunited jermaine what was your reaction to that trade from like a player standpoint, I was like excited, you know, getting a new addition on the defensive line. You know what kind of player he is, you know, hard hard working and like take take home blocks to keep the um, linebackers free. So I thought it was a great opportunity for him to come play and be better. And then as a friend, being a friend with him, it's a new new start for him, you know, new challenges in the NFL, new opportunity for him to showcase his talent and whatever happens after this happens. BJ when the trade went down, was your friendship with Jermaine one of the first things you thought of? Oh, yeah. That's the first person I called. Uh, crazy little story. Um, I called him. Uh, I knew son- that Sunday I was going to get traded. I called him. like, hey, I'm coming to Cincy. He was like, nah, you just playing. <laughs> then the day later, I called him back. I was like, I'm really coming to Cincy. And uh, he's like, man, why are you playing? Then he uh, called coach or whatever and asked him. I was like, I told you I'm coming. So it was, it was, I was excited just knowing that he's here. Um, he made it easy uh, on it, uh, you know, just coming over here and making you know, me feel at home. We're talking to Jermaine Pratt and B.J. Hill. So in your first NFL game as teammates, you forced the fumble and then recovered the fumble in overtime that led to the game-winning field goal. B.J. had two sacks of Kirk Cousins in that win. I want each of you guys to describe the other one as a football player and as a person and what you admire and respect about him. So, Jermaine, you go first talking about your friend B.J. Hill. Uh, I would say that he <laughs> – I, I forgot the question. I was just stuck out there, to be honest. I, I would say, like, he just uh, a hard-nosed player, you know, a guy that's get out there, but he's athletic, three technique, whatever. He can play all over the D-line. So, he's athletic, big, strong, physical guy that can – they can just knock back and then get the rupture and, like, create head in the backfield. And as a person? As a person, he's a um, chill, laid-back guy, goofy guy, I'd say. <laughs> like, but he's a cool guy. All right, BJ, here's your chance to talk about Jermaine Pratt as a linebacker and as a friend. Uh, linebacker, he knows what he's doing um, all the time. He knows what plays about to come. He knows the formations, the, they're about to line up. He just, he, he just you know – think ahead and um he's just very smart as a friend you know one of my best friends uh ride or die no matter what uh by uh, by you um through it all all right so you're two games into the season the defense has played extremely well so far this year you got the Steelers coming up on Sunday Jermaine let's start with stopping the run because you guys have done a great job against Dalvin Cook and David Montgomery in the first couple of weeks three and a half yards a carry for those guys what is the biggest key to playing great run defense everybody just doing their job you know everybody had that mentality stopping the run trying to eliminate explosive plays and everybody just doing their job and Trying to eliminate, um, trying to one dimension of offense. It's hard for a team to really attack you if you didn't stop the run game. You know, the run game don't start. They got to start throwing the ball or spreading it out. You know what they're doing. And then now that you got D line that's headed, you got interior guys that can get to the um, to the quarterback. You got outside guys that can get the ball. So it's really showing showcasing what we brought here over the, the last year. So showing how elite we working and trying to come together and trying to be that top defense in the NFL. And, B.J., you guys have been getting after the quarterback. Six sacks in the first couple of games. What do you think the front four has shown teams so far this year? 
um, just playing physical, playing tough, and um, stopping the run. That's the most important part. I'm sitting down the run, then have some fun on third down or, or whenever they third, uh, throw the ball. And that was our goal. The first two games, it's going to be our goal this week too. Um, playing physical, getting knocked back, use hands, and and getting to uh, to the uh, running back, and then getting to the quarterback. Jermaine, it's been great to have you on the team for three years. BJ, it's great to have you reunited with your uh, former teammate. I appreciate your time. Best of luck this week. By the way, Pro Football Focus currently has B.J. Hill graded as the fourth best interior defensive lineman in the NFL. Josh Tupo is ninth, and D.J. Reader is 11th. Impressive stuff by the guys in the middle of the Bengals' defense. Now time to discuss some of the key storylines heading into the Pittsburgh game with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lapham, I want to start with the Bengals' offensive line. According to ESPN's pass block win rate stat, the Bengals are seventh best in the NFL. According to Pro Football Focus's pass blocking efficiency rankings, <laughs> the Bengals are 19th in the NFL. So according to Dave Lapham, are they top 10? Are they middle of the pack? Are they lower than that so far? Yeah, I wouldn't. I would not say that they're much above middle of the pack, but I think honestly, a lot of it has to do with who they're playing against too. I mean, they're playing against some pretty good defensive fronts, and I know you can say, oh, you know, that's an excuse. Ah, that's real. And Pittsburgh, even though you don't know exactly who's going to be out there, if uh, T.J. Watt, for example, can't be out there, you know, obviously that's a that's a huge factor. But man, don't count Melvin Ingram short. Watching him on tape. Bengals had trouble blocking him last year, and uh, that that guy that guy's a, a definite uh, definite threat. And they still have Cam Hayward. I mean, all he's got is 33 sacks in the last four years as an interior pass rusher. And and, and to me, you know, I, I guess these win rate everything's subjective. All I know is too many times space is an issue, not necessarily time. And time's an issue quite. A, quite regularly as well but even when there's time there it's closing in on they're, they're not given enough space and I, you know I remember from the very beginning you know Tiger Johnson saying man you know it, it's not just giving the quarterback time man we got to give him some room some space he's got to see the football field you know we can't we can't be crowding his crowding his space and uh he's right Joe Burrow's stats were far worse in Game 2 than they were in Game 1, but he told reporters today he actually felt more comfortable in Game 2 than he did in Game 1. How comfortable does he look? You know, I think, I think that uh, repetition breeds comfort level. You know, I think just, just the, the raw repetition factor is probably a contributing uh, factor to that. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how long it takes them to design moving the pocket and that sort of thing, getting them out of pocket. Because if you are getting consistent pressure, um, the best way to to combat it is is move the pocket a little bit, not give uh, the, the defensive front a stationary target. They know, like, you know, if he's in the gun, exactly where he's going to be. If he's under center, depending on three-step, five-step, seven-drop, they have aiming points. They have targets there. So if you can disrupt that, you know, and, and, and change the launch point, that could be a factor, um, and they, they haven't done that much yet. They have done it with them in the past, haven't done it yet that I can recall by design all that much. So uh, that, that's, that's something that they can do. And I think as they feel that he's more comfortable and as they become more comfortable seeing he's more comfortable, I think those things may, may eventually occur. Um, but I do think we talked about the final box that needed to be checked was – having that, that push in your face, and that was his mental block at training camp for a period of time. Until it happens, live bullets, that's something that you're, you, know, you haven't done yet. You're not sure if that's the final box to check. He's checked that box. You know, it's been checked many times, unfortunately, and I think he's getting more and more comfortable you know, having to deal with that. The Steelers drafted some offensive linemen, none of them in the first round. Two are starting, one at left tackle, one at center. The Bengals drafted three offensive linemen. None of them are starting yet. Here's my question. In the modern NFL, when they don't hit that much during the week, once the season begins, really in training camp too, but especially once the season begins, how does a guy like Jackson Carmen get better to the point where he can slide into the starting lineup? Yeah, that's a good point, Dan. I mean, I think, I think that um, they're not as concerned with him 
his physical components as much as can he handle all the exotic uh, Mike Zimmer savant on third down, all these exotic pressure packages. Can he decipher and handle it all uh, in the in the heat of battle? Can he accept communication and pass on communication, and then at the snap of the ball, be able to uh, apply that communication to full speed action in front of him and all those kind of things. So they're they're in that in that like we talked about before that decision making part of well I've got veteran players that I feel like I can trust they've played a lot of football they've seen a lot of NFL snaps they've seen a lot of blitz packages they've seen 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 all this kind of stuff I feel comfortable with them mentally but physically the young bucks may be better uh, but mentally we're going to have to take our lumps they're going to have to take their lumps and we're going to have to take them as well and you know it's like <laughs> As a as an offensive line coach, I'd be like with, with some young guys. Now, I think Deontay Smith, to me, it looked like he kind of caught on to things a little bit faster, you know, in terms of transitioning. And you know, maybe the maybe that gap is being closed. Obviously, Smith's been down and Carmen hasn't been deactivated. So, uh, but if I'm an offensive line coach, I'm like, oh, I know a wreck's coming. I just hope it's a fender bender. I don't want I don't want the car totaled. I just oh just make it a little fender bender, you know. And Joe Burrow's probably thinking the same thing. So th- those are the kind of things that you have to sift through and sort through a little bit. So a hot topic this week is throwing deep, especially after Jamar Chase said after the Bears game that the Bengals should have been doing it earlier in that game. Is that valid? You know, to, to me, it's a lot easier to say after the fact. But, you know, you hear, you hear Jamar Chase saying in press conferences, yeah, we, I knew it, T knew it, Joe knew it, we were all talking about it. Well, if you guys were all talking about it, did you talk to the coaches about it? And if you talked to the coaches about it, how come it didn't happen? Um, and I do think there were some instances where the deep ball opportunities were there. T didn't handle a deep ball. Joe didn't throw it. If Joe could have had that throw over again, he wouldn't have thrown – he would have thrown more to the middle of the field than the hash mark um, because the corner had outside technique, and they were playing outside technique with safety help the whole day, and he took it back to the corner more than to the middle of the football field. So where the ball was thrown, you know, the, the spot that it was thrown to could have been better. But he could have, still could have made a catch on it, and he didn't. Um, you know, another one was thrown out of bounds. I mean, other times, obviously, things might have happened that took it away, including pressure and not being able to see things. But, you know, it's I, during the whole – in the second half, I kept saying to myself, oh, man, where's the double move, the double move? Let's, they're so primed for the double move because they're breaking on everything. They're doing – they're you know, they're squatting, sitting, whatever you want to say, and they're just breaking on these routes so, you know, confidently. Oh, make them pay. You know, just a hook and go or out and up or whatever, just the double move. Takes a little bit of time. And then even, you know, like – like they hit Chicago hit a couple of crossers you know they missed one and hit one for about 30 yards those take a little time too and it's like where are the crossers where are this where are that and it it just seemed like the Bengals almost almost game plan against themselves a little bit they they gave Chicago credit which they deserve but maybe too much credit because they eliminated a lot of things you know went empty and and said we're getting out quickly we're going to hit our slants our quicks you know, in, intermediate uh, and short field range passes. And in Chicago, man, they just – they jumped them, and they had confidence in their pass rush. And the thing that probably disappointed me as a former lineman the most, though, is when they're doing that, they're not loading the box, and they still didn't run the ball well enough against a box that wasn't jammed up. At that point, you know, you got to win more of those battles. And that's, that's where I think Chicago really kind of, you know, stuck it in their face like, you know, we're not only going to pass Russia, you're not even going to be able to run the ball against us when when we're not stacking the box, you know, and, and we're going to take that away from you as well. Because the game in the first half, it was, you know, anybody's football game, and it was until, you know, the interceptions, the turnovers in the third quarter, and then they had their furious comeback. And in, in that time frame, it's like, I wish I saw, saw more carryover of the momentum they established in the Minnesota game around the ball, particularly when the box wasn't that full. <laughs> So it sounds like Trey Waynes is getting closer to coming back. I don't know if it'll be this week or not. Too soon to say. Do you think he's going to have a big impact when he returns? I think he will. I think he will. 
you know, but the, the, the danger now is you can't panic and say, come back too soon. Then all of a sudden, man, you know, it's not quite a hundred percent. And then you retweak it and now you're out another, you know, a month plus. And those things can be, they can nag like that. So, you know, the experiences that I had with, with guys that had hamstring, I never pulled a hamstring in my life. I don't think I've got one. <laughs> you know, it was with, or it wasn't that that finely tuned where I was going to be pulling it. I had the, I had the hamstring of a, uh, of a plow horse as opposed to Isaac having the hamstring of a thoroughbred. Um, but with, with Isaac, he would always say, I feel pretty good, one more week. Do that extra week. That extra week makes a huge difference. So – if uh, Trey's practicing this week and, and getting close, it would not shock me if they decide, you know, one more week and, uh, and, and get it even, even better and, and reduce the chance of, oh, man, it was almost there and then retweaked it. All right, so let's talk about the Steelers a little bit. They started last year 11-0. and They ended the regular season 1-4. and They got blown out in their playoff game at home by Cleveland. Started this year with a great win at Buffalo, then lost at home to the Raiders. So uh, if you didn't just quickly do the math, that's six losses in their last eight games going back to last year. How good are the Steelers? It's an interesting question um, because you look at it, they didn't run the ball worth a darn last year. I mean, at all. They were just – they threw the ball three to one, you know, in, in play selection. This year in the first couple of games is still two to one, so they're still wanting to throw the football. And Ben, you know, got the ball out of his hand last year in two point two, two point three seconds, the fastest in the league. He's doing the same thing this year. He's quick draw McGraw back there, man. He's getting it out. Um, and if you know, I think he's going to play. Obviously, I, you know, I'd be I'd be stunned if he doesn't. But you wonder. They haven't gotten their running game going yet either this year. I mean, they're dead last in the NFL. In, uh, in yards per carry. So they draft a rookie running back in the first round, Najee Harris, thinking they may strike lightning twice with the Harris name, you know, the <laughs> Hall of Famer and Franco, and they haven't gotten him going. And you have a quarterback that's maybe wounded a little bit. You know, you have young offensive line. The best thing to do is, is get the running game established at home. I, I think they're probably going to try to run it a little bit more than they have. We'll see. Um, but, yeah, it's that the, the offense is – it looks to me they're still running duo. They're still running some things. They're running a little more counter, a little more misdirection counter than they've run in the past. But a lot of it, even though they have a new offensive coordinator who this is the first year he's ever done it, I, I do see some carryover, some similarity from uh, Randy Fickner's offense. How about that offensive line? They've lost three pro bowlers, Pouncey, DeCastro, Villanueva. I mentioned earlier they've got two rookies starting. There's just one returning guy back from last year. Are these guys any good? They're not as good as last year. And, and last year they had trouble, you know, running the football. But I, I don't think they're as good as last year. And, you know, the, I'm going to get on my soapbox again about Trey Turner who got ejected for spitting in, in today's NFL with all the protocols the NFL has for COVID and you're spitting. You know, and, and I know if you were spit on first, you know, natural instincts is to retaliate and spit back. But the – the, the guy who responds always gets caught. And you, you don't act like a couple of five-year-olds out there spitting on each other. I mean, that is so stupid. So, you know, Turner got kicked out. It looks like that's going to be the end of it, kicked out in a fine and all that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, I, I've seen him on tape before. I, he, he's, you know, he can play the right side of their offensive line. They probably have more confidence in than the left side of their offensive line at this point in time. But, um, you know, they're still they're obviously young. Um, I, I think the way the Bengals' defensive line is playing, I give the edge to the Bengals' defensive line, and then I give the edge, even though you don't know who's exact, exactly going to be playing for the Steelers, I give the edge to the Steelers' defensive line in front seven, stopping the Bengals' running game as well. So to me, that's going to be a big key in the game. Which offensive line establishes themselves enough to be quasi-balanced, some modicum of balanced, and not having to just drop back and chuck it all the time? As we've learned from Dave Lapham over the years, a loose groin is a happy groin. <laughs> well, right now we've got some uh, unhappy groins right. in Pittsburgh. TJ, yeah, TJ Watt, Devin Bush, Joe Hayden. Bush and Hayden didn't play last week. Watt had to, to exit the game. If those guys don't go, is the Steelers' defense all that formidable? I mean, it's it's uh, it's incredible. Highsmith is on the four groins, man. 
they're, they're not happy in that training room over there at all. There's a bunch of unhappy, miserable groins over there. Um, yeah, Hayden has had it all through training camp. He was, he's, and that's what I'm talking about. You try to come back, oh, a little too soon. Ah, it's, I yanked it again. You know, it's still kind of, uh, it, it jazzed me. So I have to, I have to get out of the, out of the football game. I don't think, obviously, if, if, if a handful of those guys, there's a handful of those guys, if a couple of them don't play, it, it could have a factor. There's, there's no doubt. Alu-Alu, how'd you like to be him? He turned down a lucrative deal from Jacksonville to stay with the Steelers and then breaks his ankle. He's on injured reserve. I mean, that, that, that's a blow right there. Like I said, though, I, I do think Ingram is, is a guy that can, that can pressure, pressure the quarterback. I think that he would still provide some edge rush. But if all these guys play, the fact is they're impaired. So they're not as explosive. They can't be. If they if they try to be as explosive, they may yank the you know the, the injury and uh, and not be able to play at all. So in, in in your mind you think, I can go. Can I go 100 percent? No. Can I go at least 75? Can I try 85 on this one? Now that starts to play with your head. You know, as a player, you want to say, look, I'm either going to go 100 percent or I'm not going to play. Well, if if any of these guys, maybe none of them will be 100 percent. They're all not going to sit. Some of them, I think, are going to play, you know, hurt, play impaired a little bit. And that'll diminish potentially, you know, how well they can perform out there. I do think that it's very important for T.J. Watt to think big picture and give it another week. <laughs> I, I just, for his sake, I really think that's important. I agree. How about three sacks and two forced fumbles already? Unbelievable. I mean, over over the last three years, the Pittsburgh Steelers have more sacks than anybody. And they had 57, 50, whatever it was last year, and 27 turnovers as a result of those sacks. They led the league in sacks, and I think were third in turnovers. It's it's a disruptive bunch of guys. There's no question about it. And Keith Butler does a good job of taking the talent and putting it together and concocting, you know, uh, configurations that are that are problematic. He he emphasizes their strengths is what he does. Is what 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 every good coach does sees. Boy, this guy can really do this. I'm going to make sure that I have a package where that's going to be you know first and foremost. He's going to be front and center with that stuff. I think that Butler takes his scheme and matches it with his personnel. And I think I think the Steelers organization, as an organization, does that better than anybody. They'll be in the draft, and they'll instead of having 300 guys, they'll have 50 guys that they're Steelers because they fit what we do. We don't give a damn what Dallas thinks about this guy, that guy. Mm-hmm. These guys fit the physical requirements of what we asked our guy to do, whatever position you're talking about, and they hit on them. You know, they draft those kind of guys to fit their scheme and then develop them. And Pittsburgh has done that over the years as well or better than anybody. I really respect them for that. Last thing, Tom Brady is 44. Looks like he's 24, playing like he's 24. Ben Roethlisberger's 39. What age does he appear to be <laughs> physically and, and in terms of his play? <laughs> Sometimes he looks at least, you know, at least that age. You know, it looks like he's pushing 40. I, I tell you, though, that guy, man, I mean, he's, as we all know, he played at Miami of Ohio. He, he, went, he ran the table there. And every time he comes to Cincinnati or Cleveland, it seems like he wins. His record in Ohio is, is crazy. Um, and, you know, he's surefire Hall of Famer. He's not what he was, obviously. But um, he's, <laughs> he's, he's very intelligent. He, um, but he, I, I honestly think this is a swan song. I think he came back for one more year. And, uh, and he took a $5 million pay cut. Other guys signed you know, friendly deals to stay and try to make it one more time. This this is the, the, the swan song, the final attempt for Ben Roethlisberger and Juju Smith-Schuster ended up signing a one-year deal when there weren't big things out there. And now he's signing a prove-it deal and hoping to have a big deal with Ben Roethlisberger. So it all kind of centered around centers around the quarterback. And uh, uh, he's still very capable, but he's not like he, he was where <laughs> – it, it was almost like he stood in the pocket like the Empire State Building, and, and, and you'd hit him and roll off him, bounce off him. It was like, gosh, he was like an impenetrable force, you know. And then, and then he'd, he'd uh, be on the right hash mark and throw it all the way back to the left sideline on a rope, you know. And it's like, boy, they just don't make those throws in the NFL. Guys just don't do that. Ben did. In his prime, Ben was uniquely special. And uh, I, I still think he's very effective, very efficient. 
but he's, he's not playing at the Hall of Fame level he once did. Last but not least, time to take a closer look at the reigning champs in the AFC North, the Pittsburgh Steelers. They opened the season with a seven-point win at Buffalo before losing at home by nine to the Raiders. Ed Bouchette from The Athletic has been covering the team for more than 30 years, and when he joined Lapp and me this week on the Bengals Game Plan Show, I started our conversation by asking Ed how good he thinks the Steelers are. Well, the uh, thing in Pittsburgh right now seems to be how bad are they? Um, <laughs> you know, uh, that that loss at home to, to the Raiders was um, was kind of disappointing for everybody involved. Um, you know, after the after the big win in in Buffalo against uh, a team that uh, you know was considered maybe uh, an AFC contender this year. Not maybe they were considered an AFC contender this year. You go up there and beat them, boom. But um, you know they have a ton of injuries now. Their offensive line is terrible. Uh, ben Roethlisberger's not getting any time to throw, and the running game is going nowhere. Other than that. They look pretty good. <laughs> so let me ask you about Matt Canada, first-time offensive coordinator, and uh, Adrian Clem. You mentioned the offensive line. He's the offensive line coach. There was a shakeup in the staff. Um, and what is the take from the players that you've talked to or had a chance to uh, inquire their thoughts on these coaches? Where, where are they? Where are the players with these new coaches offensively? Yeah, Dave, I, I have to tell you, in this age of COVID, it's hard to talk to anybody. You know, you don't get the time to talk to them anymore. They bring them out for uh, mass interviews, and that's it. So it's hard to judge. Ben Roethlisberger seemed to be a little uh, not happy with with Matt Canada after the game. He talked about not having a a no huddle offense. He said, we don't have a no huddle offense. And that was um, his bread and butter through the years. So there seems to be maybe um, some, some disconnect there, you know, their offensive line, it doesn't matter who's coaching them right now. Um, they're, they're just not very good. And you know, they're young. They're hoping they develop, but there's a lot of hope there because they have two rookies starting a second-year guy starting, and it's just not 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 working out. I mean, Ben was knocked down ten. Oh, he was hit ten times on Sunday, sacked twice. Um, they can't run. I'm, they drafted Najee Harris in the first run, uh, on first round. Sorry, and um, Art Rooney, the, the Steelers' president, uh, proclaimed that they needed to be better at the running game, and they're worse. Um, and now they have all these injuries on defense. So it's it's not a very good spot where they're in right now. We're talking to Ed Bouchette, who covers the Steelers for the Athletic. Let's talk about those injuries. T.J. Watt, Devin Bush, Joe Hayden, and others. I guess they all practiced in some way, shape, or form today. But do you think those guys answer the bell? And uh, even if they do, are they going to be the T.J. Watt, Devin Bush, and Joe Hayden that we're accustomed to seeing. Yeah, they have groin injuries. And what's unbelievable is there's like four of them that have groin injuries. I've never seen so much in, at one time since I've been covering them. And those are things you, it's it's hard to tell. I mean, they can feel one good one day and then go out and, you know, do a few things and bang, it's, it's back. Um, T.J. Watt was limited in practice today. Uh, Devin Bush, who missed the game totally because he injured his groin in practice last Friday, was a full practice guy today. So I, if it's Wednesday, that's a good sign. Um, Joe Hayden was limited in practice. He also missed the game. And they, they had added uh, another linebacker, Alex Highsmith, to their groin injury list Um after the game, and, and he didn't practice today. So it's it's really, guys, it's really up in the air of who is going to play and what effectiveness, if they do play, they're going to have. Ed, I've got a, a little slogan for you about the groin that if you want to use, <laughs> feel free. Just tell the Pittsburgh Steelers players that a loose groin is a happy groin, and right now they don't have many happy groins over there, it doesn't, doesn't sound like so. 
Um, it, it, that, that is, it, it's amazing how there seems to be an outbreak and an injury. You know, if there's if there's hamstring injuries, there's like three or four. Groin injuries, it, it, it's almost like a contagious thing. What about Ben Roethlisberger's left pectoral? You know, in Cincinnati, everybody kids about him being a diva with respect to injury. He wants to be John Wayne and save the day. Is the is the left pectoral legit, or is it just Ben being Ben? Yeah. Dave, it's not just Cincinnati that jokes about that. They joke about it in Pittsburgh, too, and all over the league. Um, it's his left pectoral, and he's right-handed. Um, they do have these things called painkillers. So I think he's going to be okay. He didn't practice today. He never practices on Wednesday. Um, but they did list that as the reason. Usually they list it as coach's decision. But I expect him to be okay. But if that offensive line can't block any better than they did the first two games, I don't know how long he's going to be okay. You know, he's 39 years old. When he was 29, he could avoid the rush a little better. He did do a good job, actually, of avoiding some hits Sunday and getting rid of the ball. He was sacked twice. But, you know, that's not going to work. Uh, much longer if that continues to happen. You said he got hit 10 times, and he gets the ball out like 2.2 seconds. What's he going to have to get down to 1.8? I mean, to get yeah. out without getting hit? It's crazy. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know how they keep those the clock on that. I, I guess that's an average, but I mean, he was running around at times where it was much uh, longer than that, uh, and it was like that in Buffalo as well. Um uh, you know, he came back to win a Super Bowl. That's his only reason to come back. And uh, that is right after watching the first two games. That's so far um, away right now. I mean, if they don't get this offensive line fixed, I, I can't emphasize enough how bad they've been. <laughs> you know, I, I, he's not going to make it through half the season. And here's my final question. Is the Steelers' opening day quarterback for next year currently on the roster? You know, that's a question we've been asked for a long time. Really, that was a popular question here, Dan. Um, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, I thought that if Ben played well this year, he could even try and come back next year, but that is so out of the question at the moment. Um, Dwayne Haskins, we have not seen enough of him. Mason Rudolph, I don't know that, um, you know, they did extend him another year. So uh, I would, I don't know. I, I can't answer that question. I really can't. Ben took a pay cut. Alo Alo turned down less money or turned down more money with Jacksonville to come back and try to make this last run, you know, with Ben. Um, it, it, you, you almost like, wow, in the early stages here, it's too bad, too bad with some of these guys, but, Pittsburgh well, even with Mike Tomlin. Smith, Juju right. Smith-Schuster as well came One back. year, right? Took the one-year deal. Yeah, and came he back. wasn't expected to come back, right? Right. So, and Mike Tomlin's never had a losing season, uh, you know, 14 years into his 15th. So it's funny, in, in my mind, having seen this Steeler organization for so many years, just when it looks its bleakest, they just, <laughs> they just come after you somehow. I mean, I, I'm never going to count them out until all 17 games are over. But, man, it sounds like they've, uh, they've got a few problems, these injury problems. In your mind, you know, I, I, I guess I don't think you have an injury crystal ball, but do you think every, almost every one of those players are going to try to play, or do you think, like you were talking about, you can't come back too soon and re, you know, re-injure the groin or exacerbate the groin injury or whatever the injury may be? Do you think most of these guys are going to play, or do you think eh, maybe half of them won't? You know, uh, <laughs> injuries are so funny. Um, I would think TJ is going to play. Uh, the fact he practiced on Wednesday, even in limited form, that I would think he's going to play. I think Joe Hayden's going to play. Um, I'm not sure about Alex Highsmith, but, you know, they, they've lost two-thirds of their starting defensive line as well. I mean, Stefan Tuitt. And Alu Alu um, and 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 Cam Hayward were their starters, and they Cam's the only one standing right now. And that was a pretty good offense, defensive line. So even a, 
those two guys are not going to play, Alu Alu and uh, Stefan Tuit. So, you know, it's Mike Tallman said a long time ago when he was hired, it's a game of attrition, and and they're losing the the, the attrition war right now. If I'm an offensive lineman looking, like you said, Alu Alu out with a broken ankle, Tuit on injured reserve, Bud Dupree, you know, with with another team with Tennessee now. It's it's a much different look up front, but I don't know, man. Ingram, eh, don't don't sleep on Ingram. I've seen that soccer oh, no. he looks games. Good. Ingram yeah. looks good. Ingram look, really looks good. The problem is they have three outside linebackers, and they want to rotate them to give them breaks, make them fresh. T.J. Watt, Ingram, and Alex Highsmith. And when they're all healthy, that first game they were unbelievable. Now, and the second game they lost Watt, and now Highsmith has a groin injury. So it's all, you know, it all, all will depend on that. Otherwise, they were getting a pass rush on four man rush in Buffalo. Like, uh, I think they blitzed twice, and um, it really worked for them. But with all these guys out, that's not working. So I don't, I don't know how they're going to do it thorough, you know, if they're going to try and blitz them a little more than they've been doing or what. When it comes to learning about the Steelers, there's no better guest than Ed Bouchette. No doubt. Been covering the team for decades. We really appreciate you coming on the show tonight, Ed. Thank you. Good being with you guys. Thanks. Here's a quick reminder to join Lap and me for the Bengals Pep Rally Show this Friday from 3 to 6 on ESPN 1530. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.